This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset, your daily dose for everything happening in Chicago and beyond. And we've got something a little different for you today. We were live at the Jane Addams Hull House Museum talking all things spooky and weird. Now, I don't want to scare you, but we're about to talk about death and decay. But wait, it's not what you think. None of us like to think about death, but the truth is, it is around us all the time. And it really comes to mind for me around now when there's plastic skeletons and ghost decorations pretty much everywhere you look. And then you've got trees dying because of the cold, the fruit rotting in your fridge. I mean, decay really is everywhere. But one Chicago professor says that there is beauty in that kind of decay and that it teaches us about ourselves. Liam Hinahan is an ecologist and professor of environmental science at DePaul University. Professor, would it be fair to call you a decay expert? I think it's what I'm spending a lot of my time thinking and writing about at Why? the moment. So it's been a long time interest. I mean, <laughs> I think uh, kind of when I... I've been asked about the origins of this particular preoccupation, and I, I think it's, it's, from, it's kind of rooted in childhood, this preoccupation with just things falling apart, I think, are, are kind of our childhood interests in kind of icky stuff. And then some of us, I guess, just don't grow up. You know, I think it, maybe it's the <laughs> we leave definition it there in of, childhood. <laughs> yeah, it's the definition of being a scientist, maybe, is just ne- never to get over these kind of preoccupations that yeah. might seem odd. Well, I watched your fascinating TED Talk, oh, and you, you. you kind of go into that. You talk about the fact that you tend to gravitate toward decomposition, rather yeah. than growth. Yeah, yeah. And I think some of it, I, I must say, is that uh, it's, it's an underplucked subject. I mean, people... So you would think, like, we're living in a world where growth and decay need to be balanced. And so you would imagine that kind of academic and scholarly interest would be kind of equally balanced, but that's not the case. I mean, it seems like, you know, uh, the kind of natural disinclination that most of us have mm-hmm. for thinking about death and decay, except for this holiday, you know, would not hold true for kind of, you know, research in the science community. But in fact, that's the case. Most yeah. biology, most ecology is about growth, productivity, and decay is less, you know, attended to. Even though you can learn a lot, I think, about the world from looking at decay. Yeah, my mind is... Absolutely blown just listening to you you speak here. You talk about people as a whole being fascinated with ruins, yeah. um, you know, abandoned remains, yeah. right? So talk more about that and, and tell us where the beauty is yeah. in that. Yeah. I think, you know, most of us maybe kind of recognize that kind of when we're out kind of in landscapes, particularly out in rural areas, and you see that kind of decaying barn, are in the Irish landscape where I grew up, kind of all of these, 
you know, ruined castles and kind of wrecks around the, the place. I think there is a gravitation towards that, but, you know, we're not always likely to ask, I think, okay, what is the, what is the genesis of that? What is kind of, yeah. what are the emotions and feelings and preoccupations that are kind of excited by that? Mm -hmm. and, and some of it, I think, you know, you don't have to scratch too hard kind of to know that nostalgia is just such a powerful, motivating mm -hmm. thing. You know, you see kind of that decayed room. Or you think about Shelley's poem from the 1880 or so, Ozymandias, I saw a traveler, I, I met a traveler from an antique land, you know, where this kind of preoccupation with the past, but not the pristine past, but, you know, the past upon which kind of a layer, a pattern of decay has descended and I think it kind of, you know, reminds us of something that we often don't want to think about, yeah. but we recognize that we're all kind of, you know, we're all eventually going to be that wreck on the landscape. We are? Yes, yes, yeah. I mean, I, I, I hate to be kind of the bearer of bad news well, for all thanks, of us. thanks, Professor. We're, we're all going to die. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're allowed to yeah. say that. Um, so, so what do you think we get out of thinking about decay, right? Yeah. Is, is it a way for us maybe to just appreciate life more? Yeah. So I think, so we learn a lot about the world from thinking about how things grow, you know, so we kind of observe, you know, children grow. We kind of think about the growth and fructification of the world around us. But we also kind of learn, you know, about the very nature of things from the way that they decay. The curious thing is, you know, a lot of the laws of growth, you know, look very similar in inverse to the laws of decay. So if you're a mathematician, oh. you can look at kind of growth curves and you can look at decay curves and see that one is the inverse of another. But maybe what's important is that even though those kind of, you know, mathematically they might look kind of the same, they're alerting us to very different things, you know, because I mean, if you even think about if we're kind of being macabre, the decay of the human body. I think we all maybe recognize, but know a lot more these days about what's known as the thanato microbiome, kind of those you know, yeah. organisms that are lurking already on the inside, just kind of waiting for that moment of death to kick into action. And mm -hmm. you know, if you're paying attention to the decay of you know, corpses, but also leaves yeah. or you know, any organic matter, you know, you learn a lot about how that thing was structured in the first place. Uh, huh. So that, that's, part of the, that's part of the interest. And yeah. then existentially, of course, like as we age ourselves, I think we learn an awful lot about, you know, what it was to be human in the first place, that thing that we were avoiding, that we were struggling against. Now we're participating in. I just said to my beloved this morning, you know, what new part of our body are we going to discover doesn't work this morning? You know, I mean, I think that's, that's a, a, you know, and as a scientist, I'm kind of fascinated. Oh, goodness me, my right knee no longer <laughs> seems to, to work. So, you know, it's, it's not always learning, uh, you know, the most uh, lovely things, but it's, it's definitely learning things. Well, we chuckled earlier, but as a society, we are fearful of death. Yeah. Right? Yeah. To varying degrees. Yeah. Uh, why do you think that is? Is it just that fear of the decline of our youth? Is it um, maybe yeah. a fear of the unknown? Yeah. And I think not everyone is, of course. And I think it's always interesting like when people kind of, you know, are not as um, 
kind of fearful at that moment. And I, I think Can I tell of, you that people yeah. who aren't fearful of it scare me a oh. little bit? <laughs> yeah, but that's the whole thing. It's a real thing. It's a, when yeah. you talk about it too much, yeah. I'm like, what yeah. is wrong with you? Yeah. Right? That's what yeah, my so brain that, thinks. That, that's interesting. Which is not necessarily how I should think. Uh, maybe what I'm... So I think that's right. There's kind of some people that have a morbid cre- kind of preoccupation. Yeah, I think that's it. what I'm describing. Yeah. But I think there's also, because it's right at the core, I think, of a lot of, you know, 20th century philosophy, 21st century, you know, philosophy is kind of thinking about, you know, death, accepting of death, and asking ourselves what we learn about ourselves through death. So I think, you know, kind of, there is kind of a level of kind of interest in death because it kind of reveals what it is to be alive in the first place. Right. What do you think studying death is preparing you for? Well, you know, so I'm studying death, right, in a, in a number of ways, like through studies of, you know, the breakdown of dead organic matter. I, I study leaf decay, which is maybe not as morbid as, as much. But as a, you know, person, you know, I, over the last year or so, my father was in decline, and he died in April at 95. So, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, thanks. <laughs> so he had a rich and full and interesting life and was kind of much mourned, um, you know, uh, over the last uh, six months or so. But I think I, I just learned so much about him, you know, in those uh, final days, that that kind of moment of life where a lot of us fear this, a lot of us fear kind of that moment. But then when you kind of existentially experience, as we all do, kind of the decline and death of those around us, you know, I think it's, it is, you know, as your previous interview, you said that you're kind of approaching something that you've been anxious about, mm-hmm. and you learn that it can be very clarifying. So when my father, who had kind of dementia for the last number of years, was declining, you know, I mean, his steadfast love for his family was just so kind of clarifying, important, beautiful to me, but also... It kind of provoked a certain mood in him and allowed me access to stories that I think had been buried so deep that even he had forgotten. So Did I'm you not record say- them? I've, I've recorded them, yeah. Yes, yeah. good. But I, so I'm not saying that I'm kind of looking forward to my death, but, you know, it is, you know, consoling to know that kind of, you know, things get clarified kind yeah. of in those final years. You're looking very sad. And, and <laughs> I'm sad. I'm sad. Yeah. I mean, does anything resist decay, Professor? Is anything immune to it? Yeah. So, no. Uh, I mean, essentially, no. I mean, we live in a, a universe kind of that's overseen by thermodynamic laws, you know, second law of thermodynamics, entropy. The universe is nudging towards inevitable decay. And yet at the same time, I, I think, you know, also what I was so apparent to me kind of over the last, you know, 18 months, a couple of years, is the enduring love, you know, that my parents had. They would have celebrated their 65th anniversary oh. this October. And just to kind of be reminded that kind of these powerful kind of positive emotions that we have and friendship and love, things that are often very hard to explain, hard to maybe scientifically study, they endure for as long as humans endure. At least they can. They should. Mm-hmm. What is very interesting listening to you speak is that it is very clear that you are a scientist with sort of the soul of a philosopher. Mm. Yes. Are you more one than the other? 
Yeah, I think a lot of us academics these days find ourselves very confused about what exactly we we are. You know, so yeah, I, what are you? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, so my training is in the natural sciences, but I do have a graduate degree in in philosophy. It's I, I kind of describe it as my golf. You know, when I don't really have hobbies, but you know, reading philosophy and sitting in on kind of graduate. You know, seminars in philosophy has been very important to my thinking. Mm-hmm. But these days, I, I think, like a lot of us, you know, what I pride myself and how I identify is really as a teacher and as a writer. You know, yeah. uh, so kind of anything that kind of provokes my interest, whether it's children's stories, which I've written extensively about, now decay. You know, I'm just going to use the tools, you know, from the disciplines that are at my disposal to kind of think those through and hopefully do it in a way that's kind of helpful for myself yeah. but also for other other people. You say that there are many rules to decay and death, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, that it's just not total chaos. Yeah, that's right. In the TED Talk, you mentioned two. Mm-hmm. What are they? Yeah. Gosh, there's so many that I, I can't even remember which ones I talked about, so you should watch that TED Talk. <laughs> but the, the one maybe that I do want to just um, say because it's important is this, um, you know, one of the things that we learn about putting things together is this kind of moment in every complex system where there's a property that emerges from the you know, parts being assembled. So many of the things that we find most difficult to define are mind, mm-hmm. even life itself is kind of one of these properties that, you know, emerges from matter. And it's not mystical or anything. It's just like the mind is not the neurons or the glia cells, or it seems to kind of transcend them. So just to be clear, that can be scientifically studied. I'm interested, you know, when thinking about decay, that moment when the thing that had emerged, you know, suddenly disappears, yeah. when life leaves the body. Or in the case of, you know, dementia, Alzheimer's, when the personality kind of transforms and maybe disappears. Mm-hmm. So I call that along with, uh, this is from Arthur Kessler, the great systems theorist and novelist. He calls it kind of the kind of ghost in the machine. And, you know, what I'm talking about is when that ghost leaves the machine. Yes. You know, where there's this submergence of something that had already emerged. And I think thinking about that is important. That was one of the ones I wanted you to talk about. Yeah. So there we go. Yeah. So you were born in Dublin, Ireland. Yes. Any good Irish ghost stories that you can share? Yeah. So I'm going to tell one of, <laughs> one of my father, since this is one of the stories that bubbled up uh, towards the end. Okay. So he was, uh, you know, a very gregarious, great storyteller. Uh, but he described to me how he and his family you know, we used to go for walks outside Tralee and County Kerry, where they were from. And he was with a couple of the family members, including his uncle Jack, who had a very fearsome dog called Bully, I think his name was, just to give you an impression of how, you know, terrifying this dog oh, yeah. was. So they were walking out uh, of the town, and from, you know, they noticed that Bully was getting kind of anxious. And when they turned, they saw that a woman had kind of appeared just emerging from the cemetery. And she turned to them and said, God save you all. And as she said that, Bully, the most terrifying dog in Ireland, got (laughs) completely anxious. They turned around to look at him. Bully wouldn't move from where he was. When they turned back, the woman was gone. (gasps) 
Wow. Yeah, so that's 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 one. Um, uh, by the way, that, to me, that's the essence of an Irish ghost story. They're not very elaborate. They're just like kind of an incident that kind of live with you in a way that's kind of a little unsettling. Well, they're so intricate and so detailed. You're like an instant believer. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about quite a few things here, uh, Professor. Um, what do you want people to take away from this conversation? Especially yeah. people like me who are still, you know, we're a little queasy about calling death and decay beautiful. Yeah. I think, you know, part of what I'm interested in is, you know, I hope that once people kind of start thinking about this topic, you know, maybe if they haven't thought about it too much before, you know, our interview, you know, and me kind of maybe flagging it as something kind of that is curious and interesting, that you'll start noticing uh, these things, that you'll kind of notice, you know, kind of the, first of all, uh, the obvious beauty of autumn. It's a melancholy time of year, but we right. know it to be beautiful. We know, for instance, and this is, um, you know, something maybe slightly entertaining to do. If you go to the art museum, I think of the, you know, the uh, Chicago, uh, the Art Institute. To me, that's a mausoleum of decay. You know, so pretty much kind of, at least most of the objects there, you know, have already started to decay. As Marguerite Eusener, a great French novelist and critic, says, the moment that the sculptor puts down the chisel, the object starts to decay. Mm -hmm. But the real work of beauty begins. Right? So you go through the art gallery, and you're noticing all those missing appendages and all those missing noses. You know, and um, the instinct had been, you know, to, okay, you notice decay, and you try and immediately repair it. Right. That's not what the kind of art conservation community do anymore. In fact, they often de-restore. Noses that were put on in the Art Institute in the 1920s are taken off again because, you know, there is something revealing and clarifying and important about decay. So if kind of my kind of ruminations about these, along with maybe your own kind of, you know, preoccupations, provoke this interest, I think it'll both be awesome, literally, provoke awe, but it'll also, I think, be a little bit helpful in these kind of bigger existential matters, thinking about what it is to be human, what it is to be me, yeah. for as long as I am me. This episode of Reset was produced by Meha Ahmed and Brenda Ruiz. Enjoying our podcast? Then go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We publish every day of the week and on Saturdays and have a whole archive for you to enjoy. And when you subscribe, leave us a rating if you'd be so kind. It really helps more listeners find us. That's all for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.